Hello, and welcome to Well I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier, and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about themselves, about everything and anything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us, but one of the main things that mum's dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition, not least that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this, too. I first interviewed Professor Shubo Banerjee on my podcast in November 2020, when unbeknown to us, we were about to have our Christmas celebrations ambushed by COVID. His words were thought-provoking, energetic and creative. They were also full of hope, just like him. In fact, I gave the podcast the title, The Professor of Hope, which many listeners loved. Just to recap for those who didn't hear our chat then, Shubay Banerjee led the development of the UK's first national dementia strategy in 2009. It constituted a huge step towards changing the way the condition is viewed by both government and public and the professor was determined that it should be crafted and informed by those who really understand dementia. That is, the people living with it and their families. Over the next decade or so, the professor has never lost his enthusiasm and ability to inspire, whether as Professor of Dementia at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, or latterly as Executive Dean of Plymouth University's Cross-Disciplinary Health Faculty. Back in 2020, we spoke about two of his projects, The first, Time for Dementia, is a complimentary training programme for healthcare students of any sort who enter the world of people with dementia and their families by visiting them in pairs every term. They see the world through the eyes of people with dementia. They develop an indignancy, Professor Banerjee told me. They develop confidence and competence. The second project, Radio Me, takes the familiar and trusted medium of radio and using advanced technology tailors it to the needs of those living with dementia so that it can play calming, personalised music at appropriate times or remind individuals to take their medicine. Both initiatives were paused during Covid and the Professor and I promised to catch up on them again when life was back to normal. Inevitably, in the intervening period, this highly respected clinician and academic has come up with a new venture. Determined considers the inequalities in dementia care, thrown up by factors such as ethnicity, sexuality and socioeconomic status. It also examines the impact of earlier rather than later diagnosis. Professor Banerjee strongly believes that it is better to know your diagnosis than not to know, so that you can plan for the future. Knowledge is power, he says. So, Professor Banerjee, Professor of Hope, welcome back to Well I Know Now for the second time. Thank you. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I, I do like the Professor of Hope bit as well. Good, good. Well, before we get going on those three projects that is our, our main purpose for the discussion, can you just quickly remind people how you came to be so interested first in older people's medicine and then in dementia? 
Uh, yeah, so I came into psychiatry and I was training in psychiatry. And like many people of my generation coming into psychiatry in the late 80s, older people were not seen as a priority. They were not seen as in any way an exciting area to work in. And the second job that I had on my psychiatry rotation was with an old people's mental health team in Lewisham in South London. And I wasn't particularly looking forward to it, but you know, why not? everyone had to do one, so I went along to it. And the minute I started interacting with the older people and spending time with them, hearing their stories, it just became so obvious that it was no more fascinating group of people than the older people that I was seeing with mental health problems. They'd been through the Second World War, some had been in the First World War. Their stories were remarkable, but also, and I think that this comes back to there being a lot to play for, it was really clear that there was so much more that could be done to help these individuals than what was being done. So there was a, a real need to provide great care, and the team was a brilliant team that was providing great care, but also to build and knowledge and understanding of the needs for older people so that they got good care wherever they were. What was absolutely fascinating was the interplay between physical health and mental health and psychological health, the interplay between primary care and secondary care. And taken together, the thing that was remarkable when I started to have the time to talk to the families and the people with dementia was also the you know remarkable work that was done by families of people with dementia and enabling them to live well with dementia and to help older people with depression and other illnesses. So it really was the whole mix of the work that families did, the interface between different bits of medicine, all of that together has been a, a really exciting place to work for the past 30 years. And also the fact that there was and there still is so much that needs to be done to improve that care. That's certainly given enough to be getting on with in the last few years. Yes, I remember that really stood out for me, actually, that when you said that there are so many things for which medicine could give a few extra percentages of function. Yeah. But with older people, you know, you can really make a really big difference. I think if you find those bits of the health system that aren't working very well mm, at mm, all, mm and you start improving things there, you'll get a lot more health gain in the population by focusing on what we do badly, and dementia care is done badly by most of the system, rather than focusing only on things that we already do quite well, like mm. cancer care. Mm, absolutely, absolutely, and no, it's fascinating. Right, well, let's crack on and talk about the progress of the three initiatives, actually, that you've now got going. And can we start with Time for Dementia? In 2020, I remember when we were talking, you described it as a simple idea that's difficult to implement and it puts patients in charge and it's very much, which is another one of your big things, interdisciplinary. So it's difficult to implement, but we are implementing it. The difficulty is trying to change the curricula of medical students, nursing students, um, whatever. Each individual university mm. has its own curriculum and actually the curriculum uh, I have you know, nursing students and medical students and dental students, and they all have different curriculars from each other as well, because mm. it's partially set by external bodies like General Medical Council and partially set by universities. So it's a complex area to work in. However, one thing that has become really clear is that the doctors, the nurses, the physiotherapists of the future, they're all going to have to be able to work well with 
older people, people with complex illnesses, people with frailty, mm. and people with dementia are a great exemplar of all of that. Mm. So Time for Dementia is about giving them an experience of dementia that is not governed by what happens on an acute ward and where the person with dementia and the family with the person with dementia can actually teach our students because they're the ones who really know and our students you know really learn by being with them you kind of mentioned the program involves them being paired with a family and then going to visit that family in their own homes three or four times a year over a two-year period and they get to see the world from the viewpoint of the people with dementia and the carers and that absolutely changes their attitudes and understanding we mm. can teach facts really mm. well mm. but what we can't do is mold people who are you know not necessarily very positive about older people into people who you know really want to fight for their rights and that's mm. what time for dementia does it gives them they learn by the relationship that they build with that family they mm. see it as their family mm. and uh, they want those families to do better in the future and so it changes their confidence mm. their abilities and we're rolling it out as we speak across not only Kent Surrey and Sussex but also Devon and Cornwall okay. and yeah and we've managed to get extra funding and support to be able to roll it out in Bristol and in Southampton as well so we Fair really enough. are managing to reach mm. more and more areas we do it in collaboration with the Alzheimer's Society and the Alzheimer's Society have been immensely supportive in helping us to disseminate it. Fantastic. So in 2020, you said about 1,500 families and about 3,000 students have been through the programme. Do you know roughly how that's... Yeah, we've, we've doubled that now. And across, oh, across all specialties. Yeah, no, so we, we carried it on during the pandemic, but had to do it virtually and yeah. changed it into groups of individuals rather than that individual pairing. But and now in all but two places, we have gone back to the proper visiting people in people's homes version of Time for Dementia. So it's weathered the storm of COVID. There are more and more people who are going through this who will be much more positive about older people and people with dementia in their practice, whatever that practice is. That's great. I mean, two things to pick up on there. One was the way you said before when we spoke, I love the way you said they develop an indignancy um, because I think a lot of people, anybody actually with my parents, I know you you do, you really become their champion, their advocate. You really yeah. sort of ride into battle for them. And that's great if we've got medical practitioners and others, of course, which is the whole point about this, uh, doing the same from their side. And also, I guess that going in, physically going in, is very important. It must have been so difficult during COVID because I know you said another thing was that they begin to understand the everyday miracle of what it yeah. is that carers, people with dementia do, which any of us who've yeah. kind of been through it absolutely understand. But very difficult to explain to people that haven't sort of witnessed it firsthand. So that's brilliant. And you're evaluating it? Yeah. And we managed to publish, I think, another five or six papers in the last uh, couple of years as well. So we've now really? got really good evidence of statistically significant positive changes in attitudes and understanding for nurses, for doctors, and for health professionals who go through the program. We've got some beautiful qualitative work that describes the processes by which it works and enables those students to see the whole person mm. rather than just the illness. Mm. And we've got some really nice pieces of work that start to look at the development of empathy and the development mm. of positive attitudes through things like Time for Dementia, these kind of patient-led educational enterprises. And again, 
very much a complement to existing teaching, but a really valuable one. Mm, mm, no, absolutely. That's that's so good to hear, actually. I'm pleased you kept that going. And presumably that's why you'll be able to sort of roll it out further and get more funding. Yeah. This is because you've evaluated yeah. and it's proved to be very beneficial. Absolutely. Well, I think people get it once they hear it. And we've got some, you know, lovely videos that are on the Time for Dementia website. I was going to ask where of... people can see it. Mm. So if they look up Time for Dementia and Brighton and Sussex Medical School, then you'll get through to our webpage. Great. Great. Thank you. And then let's go on to Radio Me, which is, you know, radio is a constant friend. People yeah. even, you know, no matter how old, even I can sort of understand a radio and other pieces of technology leave me a bit sort of um, bamboozled. Um, and you were working with the experimental music technician Eduardo Miranda with people in Glasgow. So how has that got on post-pandemic? So all the clever people have been doing really good work on that in terms of creating the ways to do the music. And it's the team at Anglia Ruskin University, their music therapy department up there, who are doing great work on that. And on the sensor technology in Glasgow and on the ways of streaming things into radio with Eduardo's group at Plymouth. And so we've done some preliminary field work up in East Anglia and in Essex. And that's been going very positively. And we're looking to start the field trials of Radio Me in the first quarter of next year and basically to be working with hopefully something like 40 to 60 families with dementia over the next year, both in East Anglia and also here in Plymouth. So we're really looking forward to that. And so the kind of testing bit of it is going to be going live soon. So, again, that's paused entirely uh, Mm. in terms of field testing during the pandemic but the technical people were able to carry on with, yes, with a lot of their mm. work which is really positive and our funders the EPSRC kindly are giving us an extension of a year to enable us oh, to good. be able that's to the European carry funding. out all the work that we no that's the engineering and science research council it's the UK research arm of the research councils brilliant brilliant and I know it is very difficult and well beyond my small brain but the radio will, in ways that are beyond me, understand if somebody becomes agitated or yeah. their mood draws, and they'll be able to sort of play a, something personally soothing to that individual. That's absolutely it. So our idea is it's not the radio that will sense it, but perhaps a, a worn sensor like a little watch, like a smart watch type yes, thing, but yes. one with a much longer battery, would notice that an individual was agitated and therefore could change the music that was being played on the radio to music that they had personally selected as yes. music that they would like to hear if they were feeling agitated, for example. Is that through their heart rate? or It could be with the heart rate or it could be with walking around or movements. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's a number of different possible sensor technologies that we can use and we're trying out a, a couple of them. But if we can get the signal that someone's agitated, which mm. also could be that somebody presses a button saying that they're agitated. Okay, yes, of course then the, the feed can change into the radio. I think you're absolutely right. What, what, what we're trying to do here is to use familiar technology rather than unfamiliar technology. A lot of technical work out there says, okay, well, we're going to create an app and put it on a smartphone mm. and that will sort it out. You know, it may sort it out for people in their 30s yeah. or 20s, but it just doesn't work for people in their 70s, particularly if they've got dementia, mm. to say, mm. well, just mm. use this app and it'll all be fine. Of course. So what we're looking for is a technology which doesn't require people to use a small screen with their thumbs but Mm. does actually 
give them and, and that uses the technologies that they are familiar with. And, you know, there would be ways of extending it into television, for example, if people were more familiar with that, uh, using some of the, the functions that are there as well. So it's an interesting experimental piece of work. But again, it goes with what people themselves have told us they want, which is, you know, familiar tunes, familiar technology, but basically providing support for them in their own homes. Yes, that's that's great because it could be, couldn't it, rolled out? I can see that going much further once it's uh, established. Yeah, I mean, this is a much more experimental piece of work. So okay. there's a couple more steps before one would roll it out. But mm. we're really looking forward to the first field tests that we're mm. going to be carrying out next year. That's mm. that data is going to be fascinating. Yeah, and pretty crucial then, obviously, to the development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, it could help them remember to take their medicine. Yeah, sort of... no, that's right. We can build in reminders and those sorts mm. of things as well. And of course, we work with people's families if they're not mm. living with the individual yep. to be able to create those links as well. Brilliant. And finally, onto this new initiative, mm. which I didn't know anything about, but I read about, Determined. Explain that, Professor Banerjee. So Determined is a large programme grant which is funded by the Economic and Social Research Council in the UK and also the National Institute for Health Research. I've always been interested in what makes for good and bad outcomes for people with with dementia. And it's very clear that different groups get different quality care, either by reason of geography or the way Mm. that services are provided, or perhaps according to the characteristics of individual groups. And I've worked for some time looking at differences and similarities between people from the mainstream population and minority ethnic group elders with dementia, for example. Mm. So what Determined does is it looks for the determinants of good and bad outcomes of people with dementia. It looks for inequalities and inequity in dementia care in terms of its provision and in terms of the outcomes of individuals with dementia. We're recruiting a large new cohort of a thousand people newly diagnosed with dementia, diagnosed within six months of our seeing them first. And we're recruiting from Kensal and Sussex, we're recruiting from South London and also from Newcastle in the northeast mm. of England. Right. And we are following them up for three years, visiting them and their carers every year for three years. And so we will get a really clear picture of what happens over the course of the years following diagnosis. And we're particularly looking, we have particular sub-studies that are looking at the role of choice and choosing and decision-making, if you're having to make decisions about your future, how Mm. those get made, and Mm. how those vary. Mm. We're looking at a variation by gender, by race, by social class, by urban or rural areas, and by sexuality as well. Mm. So um, looking at all of those areas as a focus for understanding different outcomes. I mean, inequality is when you get different outcomes. Inequity is when it's unfair. And we're looking at both of those within determined. Interesting distinction there, yeah. Yeah, and we will also be looking at questions of whether knowing earlier is better than knowing later in terms of Mm. the diagnosis, whether earlier diagnosis is better than later diagnosis, and hopefully shedding some light on not only which services give the best outcomes, but also what sort of post-diagnostic care gives the best outcomes as well. Mm. Under what circumstances can you imagine that it might be better not to know? 
<laughs> That's a well, bit of a cheeky question, but um... so so I think so there are some individuals who really really don't want to know what's going on. Right. Okay. So, because of yeah, what they fear yeah. or whatever, and mm. I think that, in my experience is there are a few small number of people, mm. but I think that there's no room for forcing people no, no, to no. have information that they don't want, mm. and so I, I think that that would be mm. one group. Mm. I, mm. I think that there is a question about what the right time is for diagnosis. Mm. I think that there is there's been a lot of focus on trying to find out people who may be more likely to develop dementia in the future. Mm. So you could be in your 40s or 50s mm. and somebody would be doing tests which may or may not predict you're having dementia. And I think that's probably too early at the moment mm. for the general population mm. because it's not clear how those tests work. Mm. I think that my own beliefs based on what I've, what the work we've done today is that if people are having sufficient problems to seek help for their memory mm. or for other family members to notice that there are problems with that memory. And then those individuals go through to a memory service and are assessed. Then if you speak to those individuals, they will often say that they wish they knew two or three years earlier. So I think that one of the things that has stood in the way of early diagnosis of dementia is people being concerned that people will get anxious or worried mm. or unhappy mm. by being told that they have dementia. Now, older people are told awful things all the time mm. about their physical health, mm. and people manage to deal with that because that's what we do. We cope, we accommodate these sorts of new pieces of information, and we find ways forward with our mm. families. Mm. That's what mm. we do all the time, and that's what people with dementia do all the time as well. So i absolutely with Francis Bacon's aphorism that uh, knowledge is power rather mm. than, than ignorance is bliss. Mm. Uh, I don't think that ignorance of your diagnosis is ever bliss because it doesn't stop the progression of the illness. It doesn't I was stop about to say that. It doesn't take away the group. illness, does it? Just because no, you don't doesn't. get a diagnosis. It's still there and it's what still it going to develop. What it takes away, absolutely, what it takes away is the chance for your receiving the help and support mm. that's out there that can enable you to live well with your illness. So I think that what we need, though, is evidence of the benefits and the harms of earlier versus later diagnosis and determined is designed dispassionately to be able to generate that sort of evidence. And isn't what you and I are doing sort of particularly me in a way because I'm not medical but just trying to talk about it much more to get rid of the yeah. stigma because I know in yeah. my own family when I look back now and think perhaps we could have got a diagnosis earlier for mum but to be perfectly honest with you we just didn't even want to go there. We didn't want to mention no. the word dementia. We never used the word dementia until at a terrible point of crisis, she was diagnosed sort of looking back far too late. And I feel terribly guilty about that now. I think that that's why there is a need to change public attitudes and understanding of dementia. Mm. Uh, because people shouldn't be frightened of coming right. forward. People should be able to get a good quality diagnosis that's well made and then get good quality aftercare. Mm. And, you know, we, we don't have a magic medicine that will make dementia or Alzheimer's disease go away at the moment, but we do have lots of things that can be done that will enable people to live well with mm. dementia if they're given the proper support. And in that, it's like many other long-term illnesses. I would hope that studies like Determined will start to build an evidence base that will make it less possible for you know those that plan and commission services to say it's okay for people with dementia to wait years before they're diagnosed. Mm, 
Mm. Yes, because you've got the evidence showing how much better it is if they get an earlier diagnosis, so then it becomes exactly, yeah, yeah. harder to, yeah. to argue yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I think you with your, you know, that is why you are the professor of hope, because that's what you have to do, isn't it? You have to say, but though we can't cure it, there are ways, you said to me before, but you can definitely live not well with dementia, you know, poorly yeah. with dementia, or yeah, you can really live can. better. Absolutely. And good quality care, good quality support for the person with dementia and the family is the way to enable people to live as well as they can with their dementia. Yes. But I was just going to ask you one last thing, if I may. It was, okay. ju it was just that you said before that you felt that COVID had set back, you know, this particular sector, elderly care and dementia yeah. by, I think, five years, you know, and, yeah. you know, how are we doing now that we are hopefully kind of through it? Are we racing to catch up again? So I think that it's difficult when you're not at the front of people's minds. And, you know, there are immense challenges in terms of admissions to hospital and in terms mm. of getting people out of hospital and dealing with a backlog. I think there is good evidence that memory services are starting to work again. And so the numbers of people being diagnosed with dementia is increasing again, which is really mm. positive mm. because we had gone where it was a, a gap in terms of diagnostics. There are some markers that the quality of care is kind of improving in that the use of antipsychotics for people with dementia has decreased again. It went up in the pandemic and it's gone down again. Did it? Which is, Gosh. Which yeah. is, yes, yeah. it did. And that's, uh, again, a marker of, of quality. I think that, again, if you look at, you know, the people who are going into general hospitals and causing the ambulances to wait outside, many mm. of those people are old and frail and have dementia because those are the sorts of people that end up in mm, emergencies absolutely. going in and the people mm. that they're finding difficult at the back door to get out into mm. the community are generally people who are old and frail and often those people may have dementia and require social care as well as mm. health care. Mm. Mm. So I think there are dementia-shaped solutions to the problems that our health system are facing at the moment and I think it's absolutely up to us to try and make the case for those. Yes, any silver linings that came out of it? Um, I think that there are some individuals who benefit from some of the technological differences that come through being able to make contact, mm. you know, using Zoom or Teams or whatever. So I think there's a, there are some benefits in there. So, yes, I mean, there's always learning to be had when these things happen. But I, I think that uh, there's still recovery to be made. Mm. And mm. it will be a different set of services, I suspect, that we'll have that will be generated from this. Mm, very, very interesting. Well, I watch everything you do, Professor, with huge interest because you really do live life at a thousand miles an hour and you do so much in this sector. So just a huge thank you, A, for everything you do, generally, for older people and for people with dementia, and B, a huge thank you for sparing the time to come back for a second time onto Well I Know Now. Right. So thank you very much. Goodbye. Two years on, and Professor Banerjee is as full of hope and enthusiasm as ever. It was fabulous to hear that the number of students and families to have benefited from Time for Dementia has doubled since we last spoke. And great to know that Radio Me is very much back in tune and being field tested now that we are, fingers well and truly crossed, over the worst in terms of Covid. Determined, which is spelt like the word determined, only without the second E, is a new, timely intervention and very much needed. While dementia spares no one, no matter how rich, influential or talented, there is no doubt that life with a condition can be worse for some than others, whether through lack of resources, 
cultural stigma or ignorance. I'm not sure if look forward is the right phrase to use in terms of the outcomes of the research, but it will be immensely helpful, possibly sobering, to see what they are. You can find out all about Radio Me, Time for Dementia and Determined on the University of Plymouth's website, which is www.plymouth.ac.uk. Just go onto the site and search for each title to find a wealth of fascinating material on them. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast. And then together, perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.